Hi, I'm Steve Emanuelson, and welcome to the I Know a Guy podcast, where I talk to my friends about subjects they know well and that I find interesting. Today's guest is statistician extraordinaire Harper Gordek. Harper and I became friends through some mutual UNC-related acquaintances just after our college dates. Harper has a wonderful analytical mind and knows a thing or two about baseball. You would think that a statistician would be dull or boring, but that's where you're wrong. Remember, make interesting friends or make friends interesting. Hey, we're we're getting started here. We got uh, got my friend Harper Gordek with us. Hello. Thanks for joining. No, no problem. Hey, uh, the way we usually kick things off here is uh, I allow the guests to explain how they know or how we know each other. I'll let you uh, take the, take the mic and run with it. Okay. So I was walking down the street today, and he said, "Hey, I need a guest for the show," <laughs> and he called out. Um, no, no. Uh, I know Steve because I was friends with, I guess, a friend of a friend, Dan Fisher, in college. And Dan Fisher and I started hanging out with, I guess, would be a friend of, uh, the brother of one of Dan's friends. So Dwight Barnes was oh, Dan's friend. Oh, in- you could see. Well... Ed, Ed is uh, friend of the program. Friend of the program, <laughs> Ed Barnes. So I started hanging out with Ed Barnes, and then uh, Ed knew Steve from whatever, however you knew him. Yeah, I got to, it quickly uh, evolved into uh, the the Sunday afternoon basketball league. Yeah, um, you know, made our made our tr- trips back to uh, Chapel Hill to uh, play some basketball here and there. I, yeah, I did not play much basketball because I'm not. I never, uh, play, I never, I never played basketball when I was uh, younger. You know, I'm no good at it. I can't dribble <laughs> at all. Um, you know, I'm one of those people that say they're good at defense, which in basketball <laughs> terms means you're not good at anything. Um, at least pickup way. Uh, but that's it. And Steve has been on the fringes of my existence then right. ever since. Because, yeah, you know. In this in this household, it's known as the UNC crowd. Yeah. Uh, and it, that's that's a big net that we throw out there because mm-hmm. there's uh, there's a couple branches that flow out of that tree. Uh, um, but usually it comes back to the whole uh, Ed and Dwight thing. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we've known each other for a while. And, and uh, of course... Uh, I've attended your uh, Christmas parties for several years now, uh, and getting back to Dan. I mean, we always meet up at uh, Dan's uh, Super Bowl party, which is mm-hmm. also coming up. So, and one of the one of the first times that I spent significant time with Steve and Abby, uh, I got horribly drunk at their house, and I'm sure they appreciated that. Oh, that was a, <laughs> that night was epic. I think one of many dares. <laughs> I was I was wagered. Uh, I, I believe it was a dollar, but it could have been five that I couldn't finish a flask of hundred proof Southern Comfort in an hour. Yep. I won the dollar and I lost the night. <laughs> uh, lost, lost your lunch, I believe. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but without that, I couldn't have seen one of the things that that I still remember is. So I had to stay over at Dan's house. He brought me home, and driving me back to my apartment the next morning, we're driving down. Um, Martin Luther King was the main road in Chapel Hill that goes north south and we're all the way in the left lane and we're driving down and all of a sudden um, I see someone pass us to our left and I'm like that's not right because he was, <laughs> he was driving in the what would be the left lane of the 
the the road going the other direction, like the other the wrong mm-hmm. way. He was dr- right. driving the wrong way down the street. He ended up like you know half mile down, weaving in front of a car. One car goes one way, he goes across and crashes wow. in the other thing. And I was just like, that's that's a memory that I wouldn't have had <laughs> if I didn't get horribly drunk. I'm glad I could. I'm glad I could be involved. That's awesome. Um, so. Uh, Usually what I do, I, I bring people in here that, uh, first off, are, are friends of mine, which you, uh, 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 we can check that box. Okay. And, and also because well, I, I, I want to give you the opportunity to talk no, about the true. things that I, I think are pretty interesting. And, um, and uh, what I find interesting is you've got, uh, you've got a background in statistics. Yes. Uh, that's what your uh, current position is. That is what I've been doing for almost twenty years now. I've been at, I've been years. at the same job for eighteen years. I've talked about this with someone just the other day. Uh, yeah, I got the, I got this job as an intern between my junior and senior year of college, uh-huh. and that turned into full time job after I graduated and I haven't left. So that was ninety eight, and this will be sixteen. So yeah, eighteen years. Wow. So, so what got you? What got you into statistics to, uh, to start with? There wasn't anything particularly that I liked about statistics. I, I came into school like a lot of kids, thinking, "Oh, you know, I might be a doctor, right? Might be a lawyer." Like even even when you're well, that's school, why I went to UNC because yeah. I didn't know what I was going to do. It was like, "Hey, UNC's got uh, yeah. a lot of options for me. I'll, I'll figure it out along the way." And even of course, I didn't figure it out until after I left. But yeah. uh, that's you're, beside the point. <laughs> you're a high schooler, though. Your you, your job choice hasn't changed much since when you were a kindergarten. You think of doctor, lawyer. I can be a policeman. I can join the army. You don't. You don't think about all the different jobs that are out there, even right. even when you're like 17, 18. Um, but I came to school thinking I might be a doctor. I took some classes, and then I thought about it for real <laughs> when we had to choose our majors. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to be a doctor. Right. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with all of the biology classes? And I'm like, well, I don't want to work in a lab. Mm-hmm. So I started looking through the major book to see what other things took like a lot of bio classes and a lot of math classes and one of the things was something called biostatistics and I was like eh, that sounds good enough and I mean that's that's what I took and I liked it and I continued doing it I got a, after graduating with my bachelor's in it I came back and I got a master's in it from UNC too and I, I enjoy it very cool it all it sounds fancy but really it's more just a way of saying applied statistics is the way I look at it. The, the bio part was very downplayed. Understood. It's just kind of like there, there's not, not much. It's a lot, but I, I'm you know looking at a lot of numbers, a lot of analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I guess uh, mapping trends and and so forth, or maybe I'm uh, making this more superficial. <laughs> no, no, I mean that's that's a lot of what it is. Is that we analyze data over the course of years, and we gather data from. I work at a company that does a lot of like survey work. Mm-hmm. So you know, one of the things I work on is a survey that the Medicare makes the home health agencies, the people that come to your house and deal right. with like old people or rehabbing people or stuff like that. They make them take so they can get an idea of these people are doing a good job so they know their, the Medicaid money isn't being wasted. Right. Um, so we take the survey and work from that and we analyze it every year and we run it through you know, the, the things they want to see and if, then we look a little deeper and if there's anything they haven't noticed that we won't think they might be interested in and stuff like that. So, so, what are, so what's a uh, uh, characteristic or you know, a, a skill set that you've, you've uh, kind of fine-tuned being in this position where, where you know, compared to somebody that would be starting out in that same position? I mean, have you learned 
you know, are you learning to look at uh, at at those numbers a little differently than somebody else would? Uh, I mean, or is it more? Uh, uh, you're very agnostic to any anything. I, I guess I'm just kind of. Generally, the everything comes from what the client wants, uh, so that they decide ahead of time this is what we're interested in, and then the data just kind of speaks to you. Like it, it, it will. You'll notice like when you're doing these things that they want, and you're also doing the things that are just kind oh, of standard. Like what are the, the you know the prevalences and the variances and stuff like that? When you look at the very standard type of statistical outcomes, you might notice something. Oh, this seems kind of weird. Or I mean, I know I'm doing things for these populations, but what if I split the populations apart? Does it hold true? Or if there is something weird, where is it coming from? Um, it'll it'll show itself. A lot of the stuff that I've gotten down from when I started is more just being in a real job type right. of thing, like getting going from where I went it was and being now more organized and knowing how to attack a problem and knowing mm-hmm. how to plan out before I start something so it right, works right. better and, and also eventually you know dealing with people working under you and dealing with schedules and Got budgeting it. and Got stuff it. like so that. So it's more of the work, work side than the actual numbers side. Yeah it's not unfortunately it sounds fun like oh you're going to get a big data set find out what it is mm-hmm. and because the, they talk about that now a lot with like big data, big data. and stuff. Yeah exactly. Like here's just a big data set tell me what you find but a lot of times it's going to be very you're going to do very similar things to it you're going to mm-hmm. look for the everyone's looking for the same sort of thing um, right but I, there's a lot of data out there so yeah, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that could be found <laughs> oh, that's cool um, but uh, you're, you're also uh, what I consider one, one of the uh, uh, best resources of baseball that I know of uh, I've got you know several you friends. Several, smartest, best looking. Yes, well, well yeah, it's, a, it's a long list. No, no. It's a long list of uh, uh, superlatives. Anyway, but but uh, I consider you a, a baseball guy. I think you would probably consider yourself that yes, as well. Yes, I do. And uh, and not only that, but but uh, uh, taking the the statistics side of it um, uh, to to uh, to great levels uh, you know there it, it just seems like there's a uh, you know a group of baseball fans that you know they're this you know the stat guys that uh, can really uh, dig deep into the statistics of it you know obviously that plays to your strengths um, which uh, you know being that type of a baseball fan where you're really involved in the statistics did did that evolve from from what your current job is or were you always kind of a numbers guy as in relation with your relationship to baseball I mean I, you know I, I wouldn't say I was always a number guy you know I, growing up I liked all, all I like baseball and football is basically how I mm-hmm. worked out of professional baseball professional football um, and then as you know I went to college and started like college basketball but there wasn't anything particularly number driven about it Um, I think what happened is you know once I started I got into statistics and you know this is like 97 98 it's kind of mirroring the time when that kind of was sprouting up more in in professional baseball and so when these numbers would come up and these different ways of looking at things it was just very easy for me to adopt that kind of outlook like oh yeah that does that does make a lot of sense based you know I do something similar here I know Mm -hmm. what they're talking about here and there um so just you're able to find the data that backs up your assumptions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of what happens is people are like, well, why is this better? And if it's not presented well, and I think a lot of the problems that happen between the people that really delve into statistics and the people that are really against statistics are, is a lot of communication issues. Mm-hmm. Like they don't explain it well why they should be doing this or they use the wrong terminology or not. 
well, not wrong terminology, but they use phrases I wouldn't use because they've already been defined in, in the mind of a lot of baseball uh, right. fans. With, with prejudice, I would assume. Well, like if you say Derek Jeter is a bad fielder, uh, if you're a longtime baseball fan, you're like, oh, I watch him play. He picks up the ball. He throws it hard. He, he That seems pretty well. What the statistics guy really means is, well, well, his range is bad, especially like to his right. He doesn't get to as many balls as people is. Mm-hmm. But it, you're using a term when you say he's a bad fielder that people have already, this is, I've got an idea what a bad fielder is. Right. It's that kid in Little League we stuck in right field. Haunts it as who, soon as yeah, <laughs> who's closes his eyes and sticks up his glove. So right. they know how they want it defined. And you can't just go ahead and say, you can't just go ahead and say, oh, now it's defined like this. No, it's been defined another way for 50 years. You have to find a new way to say it, but no one wants to. Right. Oh. Okay. Might have gotten track <laughs> there a little bit. <laughs> no, that, that's, uh, that's good information. That's, uh, that's cool stuff. The, um, but uh, your, your love of uh, baseball kind of uh, has expanded um, into, into another field, like for example, right now you're uh, you write your um, your blog uh, about the Washington Nationals. I do blog about the Washington Nationals, and, and you've been blogging about the Washington Nationals back when they were the Montreal Expos. For, if for I remember, a very long time. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting story. So I grew up in New York State, upstate New York. Um, and I'm a Yankees fan, and I'm still a Yankees fan. I, mm-hmm. I make that known every every few months on my blog. It'll come <laughs> up, and I'll be like, you know, someone new will be like, wait, you're a Yankees fan? I'm like, Dude. And all the other commenters are like, yeah, that's, that's just how he is. Um, but uh, our friend Dan Fisher had a blog, and it was a personal blog. It's, you know, in that time frame where everybody was having personal blogs. He hosted my blog. <laughs> there you go. And they were all they were all great. He every hosted blog, everybody's blog. Every blog on that on that site was fantastic and updated all the time. Except no. Um, and and one of the problems is he didn't update it. And I would be at work and I'd be bored. I'd go to read something and he didn't have anything. And I right. complained to him and he said it was hard to have a blog that updated every day. And so I said, no, it isn't. I could easily do it. And that was the challenge laid down. And I decided, well, if I'm going to write a blog, I don't want it to be about me. I don't want to talk about myself all the time. Well, what do I like to talk about? I like to talk about baseball. And then I was like, well, I don't know. If I talk about the Yankees all the time, I might start to dislike the Yankees. There might be something in this that makes me go too far dislike players when all I want to do is like watch the game and root for that team so I was like well what team can I write about and the Expos were interesting to me because they had been like they were being threatened to be moved Jeffrey Laurie was so was this before they were taken over by uh, Major League Baseball MLB or after I'm trying to think. It would have been right around the same time. Like, it would it would have been after MLB took over that I started blogging. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. And so I um, I started blogging, and then like like I think it was in July, and in September they were they were moved to, right, to right. DC, and so I started writing about them, um, uh, writing about the Nationals, and I just haven't stopped after like after a certain time Dan was like okay you're right you, can write every day. And I was, you, you won the bet but I liked it I liked I liked that kind of routine I'm, a, I'm very much kind of yeah. a routine person and so uh having that something to do every week every day almost like in the uh, during the baseball season I post pretty much something every day mm-hmm. and during the off season it's probably like three times a week but yeah. I, I kind of like that and so, so how I'm mildly 
popular. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so explain to me, you know, the process of of your typical, you know, of an in season post. I mean, okay, so the so the Nats play the night before. Are you are you following the game, you know, first pitch to the last pitch, or are you picking up the the uh, the box score the next day? How, how it, it all depends. A lot of times, what I'll do is. It depends if the Yankees are playing. <laughs> um, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll end up uh, like either watching the game on the condensed games that come out on MLB TV oh, right. after the game is over. I'll listen to both games at the same time and go to which one's more interesting. Uh, or if there's definitely a, like a reason to be listening to one or the other, I'll listen to that. Um, Generally, I don't write game recaps because it's yeah. just it. You know, you got plenty of places to tell you what happened in the game yeah. if it, it happened That's in the game. That's not why they're coming to your site if you weren't <laughs> watching it. So usually, there's something going on that's a theme that that we want to be talking about. Some player having a slump or doing really well, or some trade that might be coming up, or you know, a lot of times, you know, you write for ten years, you find patterns. Like spring training is a lot about telling people, don't stop paying attention to these stats. They don't really mean anything. Right. Um, and, Which and, I've learned from reading and reading your blog. I, I now know that uh, spring training is about it's basically stretching before you play. Yeah, I mean, you can get stuff from unexpected power increases. Like if someone starts hitting a lot more home runs in spring training than he usually has, that might be something mm-hmm. to look in for the regular season. There's a couple other things that might be of interest, but generally they're I'm, I'm they're guessing that you can't learn a thing from pitching. And spring training. I have. I. I don't. It's. I don't know. I, I don't <laughs> think so. Like. It, yeah. I haven't been able to to find anything. I think it's better just to ignore it. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that are able to parse it that have all like the speed data and the the break, how much their pitches are moving and stuff like that. Um, that can piece something from it. But right. so so what I'm hearing from you is, in as opposed to taking the information from a individual game. And, and and basically responding to what happened in that game, it's either okay, you know, it's a it's a continuation of a trend, or an ending of a trend. Generally, unless something happens in particular in that game that's worthy of talking about, if right. there was a really bad managerial decision, mm-hmm. if some guy hits four home runs, you know, like, well, how does this fit in, like, with how what kind of player he is? But it's it's very similar. Like, so from spring training, it'll be the beginning of the season, and a lot of that is like, well, you have to be careful about these numbers meaning anything because they're you're still a week or two weeks or even a month worth of data isn't all that much in baseball terms mm-hmm. um but at the same time everything counts so all these games matter <laughs> and it's kind of that balance between like don't pay attention to it too much but you can't ignore it completely and so how has following the, the nationals uh, on a regular basis how is that translated to how you look at baseball as a whole or even how you look at your Yankees specifically. I mean, did the way, you know, now now you're analyzing the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Are you able to um, now find those trends and then it's like, okay, let's see if those same trends exist in other teams or or, or whether you're doing that to the Yankees individually or uh, how, how does that work out? Or how does it change your mindset of how you're watching baseball? Um. I wouldn't say it changes it that much. Like it, like you get ideas of what what is a good what you need to be looking at in terms of how people are doing to see if it's kind of real or not. A lot of a lot of times you're looking at like batted average of balls in play and these certain stats that can tell you if something is really fluky or not. 
So you might be following it. Like if I'm following the Yankees and I'm like, this guy gets hot, I know now because I spent all this time looking at it. Well, I need to look at what he's been doing. Did he hit like 12 ground balls and they all just happen to get through the infield? Or they did he right. hit 12 line drives and they, he's really hitting it hard and then that kind of thing. And looking at baseball as a whole, it's that kind of... You, you hear the stories because, you, you know, there's not enough time to keep up with all 30 teams. Yeah. So you hear what people are talking about and then you kind of look at it yourself. Like it's, everyone's talking about this player. He's doing really well. Let me look at this player. Is he really that good or is it just a product of being hot at the right time or getting lucky? So do you have uh, any examples of how how the, I guess, the, the popular uh, – popular way of looking at you know a player or a team um has been completely contradictory to what the data has what you've seen in the data no i mean the only a lot of it is very much the same and that's one of the things that is you know that, that always gets frustrating when people argue well, statistics are a lot better than right than non-statistics I've, I've said before like oh i can prove statistics are better just give me both every team and give me like 40 years and I'll have like half the teams just look at computer data and half the teams only be able to watch players play. I can't even write anything down. And after 40 years, I will show you that the, the computer guys have a significantly better team than the other guys. Mm-hmm. But it takes that, that kind of separation, I think, right. to show anything. They're very similar the way you think. If you rank all the players like from all time, you know, Babe Ruth is still up there. Willie Mays is still up there. Hank Aaron, mm-hmm. whatever you look at it. Because... We're not dumb. These people <laughs> haven't been following baseball for, or you know, in baseball a hundred years and not know what they're talking about. Um, so really, it just comes down to uh, more situational mm-hmm. statistics and how much is that really repeatable or not. So, so clutch players mm-hmm. is is one of the things that there is that divide between what the statistician thinks, which is a lot of. Well, this guy is probably getting lucky versus um, the general thought, which is, oh, that guy got really hot at the right time, so he's really good at doing that, when there's really not much proof about it. There is kind of now a moving generally back toward, though, the common way of thinking, because for a long time, well, not for a long time, it's only been, you know, 20 years or whatever, but for immediately there was this idea, well, value of a player is only stripped out of context like this is how he does these are how his hits go and how they Mm -hmm. fall in a vacuum sort of and now there's kind of a return to the idea well how he's sitting and hitting in a certain situation that matters because that turns into wins and wins turns into season even if it's not really under his control it still matters in terms of value so we need to factor that back in so where would a team Oh, well, this is going to be too generalized of a question, I think. But uh, where where can a team get the most value in in a shorter span? Like if like right now we're in the uh, off season. If a team was looking to improve greatly, are they better off getting uh, that number one starter ace, or or are they better off finding you know? It's and it's and it's all. If I knew that, I would be. I would have a different job. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I'd be working for some baseball team. Well, actually, no. I don't think Allison wants to move. (laughs) My wife. Um, It's it's hard. Like always, pitching is usually a pretty good way of getting something better because you're when you put in a pitcher, it knocks everybody down. You have five guys who are pitching Mm -hmm. every 
every fifth day, you put a guy in there at the one, you knock out a number five. You're not knocking out a number two. Right, so right. it's always it's always where you're replacing like the worst player. A lot of times, the easiest way to get better is if you have like positions that are just terrible, mm-hmm. and you can fill that position that was terrible with just an average guy, and it makes a big difference, and it doesn't cost you a lot of money. Right, the hard right. part is going from average guys to very good guys, or from very good guys to great guys. That's either cost you a lot of money, or you just have to get real lucky. Right. With the type of find somebody you in your system and that that you've yeah. you've uh, you've uh, because uh, brought the, along the way. One of the worst things that can happen is you can have a team full of good players, because then it's going to cost you a lot of money to get better at any one position. Right. Right. And. Uh, but you can't. You just you're kind of stuck in. This and in the meantime, okay, yeah. the fans are saying, "Why haven't we improved from yeah. last year?" It was like because it cost us a fortune to yeah. do so. Yeah, and then that, and then uh, good becomes the enemy of great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, more specifically on the on the nationals, um, what are what are let's just talk about the the upcoming season then, or let's talk about the off season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right in your wheelhouse, right? Um, what are you know? What are some of the things that you've seen this off season that have uh, been encouraging or aggravating, or uh, have you liked what they've done, uh, what the Nationals have done in this off season? Or I mean, they. I have a lot of respect for the general manager, Mike Rizzo. I think he's done. A, he's done a very good job, and I feel, even though I had have some ideas about the them going all in or not spending enough money deciding that we are going to win right this year we're going to try really hard that um i don't think those are his fault i feel i feel like ownership has kept that down with money Mm -hmm. for money reasons um this year i I, they needed to address their bullpen it wasn't good last year so they got a whole bunch of arms and that, that are pretty good and they needed to get depth in um their outfielder and their outfield and infield because they are a good team in theory, but they're very injury prone. Yes, and so they need that kind of depth. So if things don't work out, they have players who are okay to to fill in, right. and they've done that too. Um, the bigger question, like one of the things that would make them better, is if they got another big bat, another another person in the lineup that can help drive scoring. Um, that they could rely on more than the guys that they are relying on who could or could not do it, but they also could get injured and not do anything. Right. It's, it's very – if you want to and someone – And to prevent pitching, yeah. pitching around um, uh, Bryce Harper. Harper. Um, <laughs> so you wanted someone that you could just feel more reliable about their production, and they didn't get it yeah. this year. So that, that was kind of a disappointment. They had a big issue with uh, Jonathan Papelbon, who mm-hmm. choked out Bryce right. Harper. Everybody said he had to be traded, but they were in a no-win situation because they also wanted to trade their eighth-inning guy. They wanted to get rid of him, too, the guy right. who was their closer, who they replaced with Papelbon, who then blew up because he couldn't handle being the eighth-inning guy. And this is the second time they've replaced him, it's whether guy. it's whether with reason or without an out. Um, and so they clearly don't believe in him. And if he can't pitch in the eighth and they don't believe in him to pitch in the ninth, you just have to get rid of him. You right. can't use him anywhere. Right. And so, which is, which is the, the whole eighth inning, ninth inning yeah, thing is, that's is thing. aggravating to me <laughs> beyond compare because it's like, you know, the, it's a number of outs. Yeah. Who cares when it is in the game? If, it, I, if I have a pitcher that I need to bring in to get outs, 
uh, if it's like, oh, I feel that you will do best in the eighth inning, or I feel like you're the best to do that in the ninth inning, um, you know, let that happen. Yeah. Or, but uh, the emphasis on having a closer and he can only pitch in the ninth inning, or you've got a, you know, an eighth inning guy now, uh, which well, seems to be kind well, of a trend. I mean, there there's some sense to having a closer because the the mm-hmm. outs you get are kind of more important as they go along because there's less a chance for scores to happen after it. Um, but it makes a lot more sense to have, oh, this is my best relief pitcher. I'm going to use him when I think it's very important in like this, the late inning, the seventh, eighth, and mm-hmm. ninth. And this is my second guy, and he's going to go in like that. But they don't use it because, like you said, they have these roles. But there's some people that feel like having the roles helps people get ready. Like if you talk to them now, relief pitchers, they talk about that idea. Like, I know I'm going to be ready in the – I'm going to be used in the ninth. So I know to get ready at this point mm-hmm. and get used to – get my throws in at this inning and get my mindset ready. It's probably nonsense. Right. For But the problem is, is that, like, even if it's probably nonsense for – 95% of the people. It might really matter for 5%. And then if you pick the wrong guy to try with, like, all right, we're just going to have this guy not be the closer and just pitch important innings in the middle. And for him, it's important to have that, well, that to, routine. To a degree, it almost feels archaic to say, okay, I'm going to have my starter. He's going to pitch seven, six to seven innings, ideally. Mm-hmm. And then to bank on that, to have two guys that coming out of the bullpen like I've got my eighth inning guy my ninth inning guy it seems a little short-sighted to me that that to say that a game is going to play out in that manner every time I mean it's the same thing with a starting lineup I mean you've got your uh your leadoff guy that you you know get on base and second you know the second in the lineup you know moves him across and then you get you know eventually get to the cleanup guy that uh you know drives them all in you know that's an ideal situation and it's built Mm -hmm. that way but at least has that flexibility uh you know you know, it's you come up multiple times, multiple at bats, so it kind of gets mixed up. But uh, playing with the uh, relief pitchers like that, it, it just feels like it's too stagnant. It, it keeps it, it, it limiting people to those roles, and you know, specifically the eighth inning guy. Just that escapes. Yeah, me. And, then, and then it just gets further and further. It becomes a seventh inning guy, and then, mm-hmm. then you know there's going to be a sixth inning guy at some point because that's just the way. Manager thing. It, another reason it gets put in is because it gives managers that room to say, "Well, I did what you wanted me to. We we have our seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy, ninth inning guy. I didn't make a decision like on who to do when. I just put in the guys I was supposed to put in. So if they failed, it's their fault. It's not my fault as right. a manager. I didn't have to make any real managerial decisions. <laughs> it's their fault because they didn't perform. Right. It's, and, so it takes. A, isn't that a little bit of self preservation yeah, on the yeah, uh, totally. manager side? Yeah. It's like, well, but, I, I followed the script. <laughs> yeah. But for the Nationals, uh, I mean, I think they did okay. I think they did. I think they made themselves slightly better mm-hmm. when there was opportunity to make themselves a lot better if they really wanted to put money into it, and they didn't do that. But there was also an opportunity for them to do nothing, and just still so, they'd be so pretty what, good. Were they limited by the amount of money that they were willing to spend, or was it just they didn't see the opportunity to spend the money? It feels like a little bit of both. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like that they had a, an idea that this, especially as the free agent season went on, that it was moving very slowly and there was a lot of talent there. So we were going to try to um, 
get guys on good deals, fair deals, like, you know, not play for me for $10 million for five years or anything like that, like a fair deal, but on the low end or, mm-hmm. uh, or market value. And when bidding started, was it almost happened with every, every free agent, it's going to happen. It, and it got built up to where the higher level of the market, where they usually end up signing, they just mm-hmm. kind of were like, eh, we don't want to do that. Or they had their ideas about deferring money. So their contracts end up being paid out over like 20 years, 15 years. Oh, really? And that reduces the overall value of the contract because of inflation and et cetera. Uh, et cetera. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, uh, one of the, you know, I I admittedly uh, have been a uh, a steady reader of your uh, blog about the Nationals, and it's actually made me a Nationals fan. I I grew up a uh, Chicago Cubs fan, and uh, and just recently, within the last couple of years, I've kind of I basically have divorced myself from uh, the. But even now, I, and I, and <laughs> I know, and it, the timing couldn't have been worse. Um, you know, it's not so much a denouncing. Like I still appreciate. I think you could get back. I, I could get back, and I I could get credit. You know, I've got some Cubs paraphernalia and things like that. But uh, and I could probably get back onto the bandwagon. But uh, I just it just got to the point for me where you know it was hard work to, and it, it felt like a uh, and you know it was just an attraction team. You know they had mm, you know they were true. you know is Wrigley Field fans are going to come anyway. Uh, they had certain traditions, and uh, which was great. And the reason that I was a Cubs fan to begin with is because I had WGN. I could came home from school and I could watch the Cubs on TV. And you did I did not grow up in Chicago. <laughs> I did not grow up in Chicago. I grew up in North Carolina, which is oddly enough because I had the same access to the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I could watch the Braves every day. I just didn't like the Braves. I liked the Cubs. And yeah, uh, for anybody became, that listens to this, that's not in North Carolina. Uh, <laughs> North, pretty much everybody previous to our age, or even you know, ten to fifteen years younger, are Braves fans. This mm-hmm. is this is a Braves state. Um, Very much so. The past, I don't know if the kids these days are have that no. same connection because TBS chain. You know, a lot of the games are not on TBS anymore. So right, right, and they're and, not picking up that audience. Well, games as a whole are difficult to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you. You're you're kind of limited by you know what I would consider national level teams as opposed to regional level teams. You know if I lived in, you know if I lived in uh, around St. Louis, I mean I'd see the Cards all the time. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know depending on the, well, yeah. what the rules are for yeah, uh, broadcast other, the, rules. Are. The other thing that's going on is that we are technically because the entire United States is carved into sections. Every every place in the United States is somebody's territory, some mm-hmm. team's territory. It doesn't matter how close you literally are. Um, like the far southeastern Montana is is um, Mariners territory because that's how they broke it up. Even though it's a fourteen hour drive for them to get to the kingdom, that's or not the kingdom. Safeco. Safeco. I'm, I'm dating myself. Uh, that's the way it is. We are Nationals and Orioles territory, but mm-hmm. we can't see Nationals and Orioles games. In oh, Canada. I know it. I know because, it all Because too of well. a conflict between the regional network that airs um, Nationals and Orioles games and Time Warner Cable. Exactly. So we're taking a so step we, back. We, and have, just, we don't even have a regional. We, we are literally only national level. Teams. Yeah, so just yeah, looking at my, my uh, fan-based decisions on the baseball teams that I follow, I was a Cubs fan because I had direct access to the games. I could see them on a regular basis because of uh, WGN back in the day. And, you know, follow the Cubs as well as I could. Uh, then when when 
And then uh, I had difficulty watching watching them for broadcast reasons. Uh, once we once it switched away from uh, you know the super stations, you know the WGN and TBS, um, so it became a little bit more difficult. Of course, I also saw that the Cubs weren't investing. You know, they weren't looking to win. They were just looking to be okay, and they were actually getting worse and worse. And just it's like this. Is, it was a hard team to follow. Um, you know, following your blog. Uh, you know, I really, and, and regionally speaking, I was attaching myself to the Nationals, and like like I said before, I was never a Braves fan, so I didn't I didn't gravitate that way. So I, I did start uh, uh, following Nationals, and, and because I read your blog, I knew the players pretty well. Um, but uh, now I'm in that situation. I'm a Nationals fan that can't see the Nationals. <laughs> Like I, well, I don't have like I said, condensed games after they're over. <laughs> exactly. MLB TV. Yeah, that's um, the way to go. Yeah, it's, uh, the blackout situation is crazy, and and you consider yourself lucky that we're only blacked out of two teams. I mean, there's mm-hmm. they're like I think the state of Iowa, there's six different teams they can't watch. So if they don't have cable, and you don't have because generally you probably get a couple team stations mm-hmm. with, with regular cable, but if you don't have cable in Iowa, and you sign up for MLB TV, which allows you to watch the games over the internet. On any night where all the teams are playing, twelve out of eighteen teams you can't see because they'll right. be they'll be either playing you're one of the teams you can't see or they'll be playing one of the teams you can't see. Right, and it's just it's ridiculous. Like if I feel like if you can't drive to a game easily, like if you can't get in your car after work, drive mm-hmm. to a game, and then drive home. You shouldn't. That shouldn't be your. You should be able to watch it on TV. You should be able to watch <laughs> it on the internet. Right. Right. Yeah, game starts at seven. You get off work at uh, five. So yeah. give give me a two hour <laughs> radius. <laughs> something something to that effect seems fair to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, I was gonna. I lost my train of thought. It's okay. I'll figure it out here in a second. Market. Oh, the um, <laughs> uh, the, the what, what's your solution? Would you consider a uh, a pay per view kind of you know? I, Okay, I find a game that I want to see, and no matter where I am in the United States, I I see a baseball game I want to see, and I can select it on demand, whether whether it's on a website or whether it's from my cable provider. Um, the solution isn't coming anytime soon. Is yeah. all I can say is because you know, cable TV, television in general, is losing audience to mm-hmm. just time. the internet and streaming channels and stuff like that. And one of the ways they keep that one of the last grasp of keeping audiences is, is sports yes. because sports is live and you can't really watch it later. Well, it's one of the reasons that I haven't cut the court. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, actually, I bet you, if you ask people across the board, anybody that w- has ever considered it and hasn't done it yet, <laughs> that it's a sports related thing. And so cable companies are spending a lot of money on sports networks and giving them a lot of money. So they're not going to be able to, even though it makes sense, like, oh, you want to watch the the Orioles play, everybody just give us $100 a year and you can watch all the Orioles games or pay us a dollar a game or whatever. It's just not going to raise the same amount of money as it will for the, as it will compared to what the cable company will give you to give them a network that airs those games. Because that's one of the last things they can use and say, hey, you need cable to see baseball or see sports in general. But one thing I find interesting about this is obviously the the trend of watching games on TV is prohibitive. Uh, it's difficult to see games, but uh, the the attendance numbers are still solid, right? Yeah, baseball's doing fine. Yeah, which um, you know 
and then just look around at uh, at the contracts that are being signed this offseason. It's like it's, they're not having difficulty paying players unless they're going to <laughs> do something drastic uh, that I don't know about. But still, it just seems, you know, there's still the trend of, well, you know, you know, you're getting this contract this year. It's going to be more than what somebody at your position got last year. Um, so. There will be a reckoning, uh, <laughs> a reckoning sometime, but I just don't know when. Oh, like, is oh it gonna the bubble's going to burst. The bubble's going to burst. It, it, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know when, but it's going to burst. Like, the K- that whole system just will fail because it's, it, it, sports won't be enough. They're finding now, like with ESPN, um, I forget what it was, but it was some, some sort of thing where you could pay or they, you know, they're surveying the people to see how many people want to watch it at ESPN because ESPN costs the most money of, mm-hmm. of all the cable stations. For the for the company, to, like you know, Time Warner gives ESPN money to put them right. on their network so they can have, and they charge or ESPN charges them a certain amount of money. Right, right. Um, not that many people want care. Mm-hmm. Not enough people care, and it's just going to go down and down. And at some point, the cable company is, is right. not going to pay that money. And it's a big and reason it's, why it's you're seeing all the, the the commercials about ESPN's new app. Yeah, you know, that's how they want people to consume. ESPN now. It's like, all right, we're going to, we have a lot of trouble with the providers. Uh, we're going to go direct to the source. So you still have that connection to ESPN and, or, and have that, well, addiction to the ESPN. Um, uh, but uh, talking about how, you know, the bubble is going to burst, uh, which I agree with, uh, what I'm curious about is how it's going to manifest. Uh, specifically, does that affect the teams? Like, I mean, would we get to the point where you know contraction would be an option, or do you think that uh, baseball as a whole is going to be fine? It's just a matter in which uh, we're consuming it. Well, it depends on the way you look at it. baseball. Will be fine um, in part because they do streaming video. Like, so baseball mm-hmm. was one of the first people to do streaming live video over the, over the internet. Um, and their company, Major League Baseball Advanced Media, right. now does, like, I feel like they do HBO stuff. They do, I know they do the NHL stuff. They, they're they very mm-hmm. good at doing that. So that separate business, which all the owners have a stake in, right. will do fine. And yeah. that'll, in my mind, that'll prop up baseball for, you know, however many years. Yeah. Um, I think just what we'll see is at some point... One regional network when they're re-upping their deal, and this could happen with this is baseball, but it's also like you know one conference re-upping their deal in, in college sports mm-hmm. or the NFL one year, you know redoing their deal with with the networks is going is not going to get that extra money, and then things are just going to start to contract in terms of salaries will go down and and expenses will go down in that way. Mm-hmm. Like, but I don't think it, it's not going to get to the point where like, I don't think that there won't be any more baseball. I just think you won't see that huge amount of contracts. It'll it'll deflate, right? And that'll be my that's my guess on how. Well, the the interest in baseball, um, I, I I guess a while you know, we'll we'll just say ten years ago, arbitrarily speaking, I felt that baseball was kind of slipping and it was only from my own perspective and it might have a lot to do with I became kind of disenfranchised from baseball where baseball was still a thing it didn't it didn't make decisions for me it was like oh there's a big game tonight so I need to make sure that I'm home so I can see it that type of thing it was just like well I'll I'll see a baseball game when I get a chance to is it 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 got pushed to the background and from that selfish point of view, I expanded and said, oh, you know, baseball is on the downturn. Um, but all I have to do is 
you know, look at the data, look at, you know, how much money is being spent, you know, what the attendance numbers are. And just like you said, baseball is going to be fine. Um, the, audience, the audience is getting older. Though. Agreed. That is true. There, there, there is a, a is there a, con- is there a concern about, yeah, you know, there, there is, there is about kids that are, are or are not playing baseball nowadays. There, there is, they, they want a younger audience. They want a more diverse audience. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they can get it or not, that that's probably the biggest fear. But beyond, like, because I think the money thing, like I said, I think it'll work itself out. It'll just find the water will find its level. Whatever they mm-hmm. get end up getting paid from the networks or getting pulling in from people like you and me watching it on the internet or whatever, that'll be end up be what the people are paid. So if they aren't paid twenty million a year, they're going to be paid two million a year. But that's still a lot of money. You still mm-hmm. want to play baseball if you can. Um, but it's replenishing to people like you and me who would be paying it for it on the internet that mm-hmm. I think really bothers them. Right. Um, That's interesting. The, uh, the the next thing I would say is, do, do you anticipate baseball changing at all? Uh, yeah, I know there was discussion recently about you know uh, designated hitter, for example, you know whether to expand that to both leagues. I mean, do you have a I assume you have an opinion about that. <laughs> um, I, I could go either way. Really? I actually, I actually really don't care if they if they expanded it to the NL. I'd be fine. If they didn't, that's fine too. Oh, I kind of like. I think it's neat that there's two different rules. I don't think it's. Right. I don't consider it crazy. I, I think it's interesting. Oh, look, these they have two different ways of playing the same game. Um, I don't think so. I think it's, when things go well, they tend to kind of stay the course mm-hmm. I think they're worried like we were saying about the audience in order to attract more people they want the games to be quicker like right. all other sports you kind of know when I when I start the game here I'm going to end it about here right, and right. you usually pretty well know within yeah, like 10-15 minutes well, of take what a, it is a, you know compare it to a you know, a soccer match. You know exactly when it starts, exactly when it ends. Yeah, it's very rare that it's. Uh, You're going to get it, it within five minutes. Or exactly, like exactly. It's. It was one of the things when I was like, when I ran, when I started to realize, oh, I when I I run at a pace, so I know when I <laughs> like my wife wife says, when are you going to finish? I'm going to finish between like the 32 minutes after start and 34 <laughs> minutes after it starts because that's how fast I run. Um, but yeah, baseball doesn't have that, and they want to try to speed that up. So I think you'll see more attempts to speed up the game but I think what they're doing is they're trying to do it in the minor leagues and just kind of hoping it affects the major leagues so like in minor leagues around here the Durham Bulls uh, Mm -hmm. we go to Durham Bulls games and they have the clock in center field which counts down 25 seconds where the pitcher has 25 seconds to throw the ball or else it's an automatic ball I knew they had that and I think I even saw the clock but while I'm watching the game, I don't check the clock. Yeah, yeah. and so they're they're hoping though that they get that mindset in the minor leaguers. You have to pitch within 25 seconds. You can't step out of the box too much. That when they're in major league players, they just that's the way they play. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have to technically bring in a pitch clock you or just bring in teach them stuff. earlier. Yeah. All right. Oh. So. So the state of baseball is strong. It's fine for now. <laughs> Do you, are there any changes that that you would like to see, or or your or baseball is resilient? It's yeah. it's been this way for a long time, and you know the, the changes that are going to be made are going to be pretty I think, cosmetic. I think what you'll see is the same thing that you always seen. Like things go in one direction too much, and then they come back the other way. Like you know we had all those steroid years when people were hitting too many home runs. So 
in response, we started to get slightly deeper fields, and, and mm-hmm. we had a lot of power pitchers brought up. And now it's it's kind of like so they try everything at once, and then all of a sudden it goes too far the other way, and they're like, right, "We're right. not scoring enough runs now. Now we got to move it back." So I think we're going to see that just bounce back and forth. Right now, I don't. I, I always I just like baseball whenever. Like right. you know, I, at being a Yankee fan, I grew up watching constant. You know, especially during the mid 90s to mid 2000 time frame of the Yankees Red Sox games which would be like four hours because both mm-hmm. teams would work to count and would walk and they'd be on ESPN and there'd be commercials and they'd have a lot of pictures right and so they it, were, that kind they of they were unbearable that kind of, that kind of game though doesn't bother me right and right. so been, I don't see you've been trained to, to like a particular a fast game is nice right. and, but the fast game can be terrible we went to Seattle one time, I'm not sure if you were yeah, on that trip, but, but like we had plane troubles or whatever, and we, you know, weren't able to come until the next day. We got there; the game was like an hour and forty-eight minutes long, or something like yeah, that. And was, we got there, and it was like twenty minutes left in the game. Where I, but it's only an hour and a half. There should be like <laughs> half the game left to play. Now, that was easily the fastest <laughs> major league game I had ever seen, uh, and I, I saw two games there. The game before was actually very long. Uh, the next day, they just they I, got tired. They got tired or whatever. I mean, they just so they had based other on to my do. traveling to Seattle, a game should be long. <laughs> uh, one game, one game uh, uh, example. I like that. All right. Um, well, we've talked a lot of baseball, but uh, I think we can uh, turn the tables, so to speak. Um, did you have any uh, questions that uh, you might have for me? So why are you doing a podcast? Because Steve is, you're not a young pup. You're not a millennial. I'm not. You're not. Well, actually, millennials don't do podcasts, do they? I think it's a yeah. lot of people our age, in fact, yeah. that do podcasts. I, te- I feel like the people who I listen to, I'm trying to think of the ages of them. They're yeah. mainly older people. <laughs> well, I've always, I've always needed some sort of, not necessarily creative, but just a cathartic kind of release <laughs> some sort of uh, export of uh, my thoughts or whatever you know it, whether it's just writing some thoughts down on a piece of paper and then if you want to throw technology into it uh, when you know going back to uh, Dan when he was hosting blogs you know I had a blog for a while and what I, was it I, called uh, his was asking for third yes his was asking my, for third. mine was <laughs> called confessions of a lethargic mind there you go. okay uh, which I I have actually exported all my all my entries and all, I've got them of them. Oh, get out of here! I was updating on a regular basis, uh, but but uh, it was it was completely self-serving. Uh, it was it was just a glorified journal. Mm-hmm. Is really what I was going to ask. Have you tried journaling? Uh, I I did, and like you know, like I've done that from time to time. But it, you know, do you have a little you, you lock key on it so your wife can't get into it? It's, it's password Keep protected. Out Steve's it's it's pink and it's yeah, got a lot of hearts yeah. on it. Uh, but yeah, the um, there was all there's always been that need to uh, marry the idea of uh, releasing, you know, getting thoughts out of my brain uh, just for sanity reasons, and uh, and then embracing technology at the same time. And uh, you know, I haven't done the my blog in years, you know, long time, and, but. It was missed. It was like, and even my wife had said, "You know what? It's, it's like I'm." She missed the version of me that was blogging. Hmm. See, that's completely like I feel like me as a blogger, and it, it's probably just the way I'm much drier. As I, like I, you've probably read the, my mm-hmm. blog long enough to know that I call myself the soulless automaton. Yes, on, on, we we call you that behind your back yeah. too. Uh, 
I feel like I play off people pretty well, but like when I'm just writing, it just comes off as very dry, and I'm like, right. eh, well, that's just how it is. At, this, I, at some but, point, I just comes, began to embrace it. Like, but that's the, just how it the is. Solus Automaton, I mean, that comes from an interesting place. It's not just like I don't care about anything. It's more of it's a very analytical mind. Trying to be objective, but yeah, it's like time, I don't. It's, it's like, but but uh, you know, your audience, you you, you would probably. I'm I'm assuming here, but I I, I would assume that uh, you're bringing in some sort of fan base that are fanatical. You know, that like, all right, I'm a I'm a huge Bryce Harper fan, and anything you say bad about him is wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they're going to defend him no matter what. Um, I think. Most baseball fans are probably a little bit more reasonable where, you know, they can follow the data and they're not going to argue the data too much. But there's still that fringe group. But I guess the question then to you is, do you feel, do you agree, like, the version of you that blogs or that talks on here is different or... Oh, in without, some way, better well, or more real, or well, I, more real than you in real life. I, t- <laughs> I think it 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 happens a different way because there's this version of me, the the regular day to day version of me doesn't have those pent pent up thoughts and emotions. I I can now get them out, and I can now my regular uh, you know regular day to day operations you know whether it you know it's work or family. They work a little smoother hmm. because I have this as an outlet. Uh, you know, I've got other a lot outlets. less. Dad, stop talking to me right, about right. your nonsense. Right, <laughs> and it's and it's it's you start thinking about it. This can get into you know borderline therapy session too, okay. where yeah. you know we're just sitting down and we're just talking things out. Um, but I did, I do find that. Uh, um, you know, not that I'm gifted or anything like that, but I feel like I have genuine interest in what my friends are doing. Uh, and it, yeah, because just because I don't, I don't <laughs> care what anybody does. And, and but it was almost like an epiphany. I, I just one day is like, you know, what? I look around, and I, you know, I've got friends that, you know, you know that do this and that, and I, I they're passionate about it, and because they're passionate about it, I find interest interest in it. Or the other way around, I'm just interested that they're doing something cool, and I want to know more about it. Um, so it it's as much an opportunity for other people to know that hey, there's some cool people out there, and it's really not that hard to find. Um, so so now I'm talking about this podcast explicitly, like so now uh, I can almost to, you know go through my Rolodex. I don't have a Rolodex. Go through my contacts on my phone and say, okay, I know this person, and because I know this person, I know what they're what they're doing when they're not having other obligations, what their pastime is, for example. And because of that, because they're passionate about it, I'm interested, or they're doing something that I already know that I'm interested in. So um, so I'm trying to bring all those people behind the microphone and uh, talk about it. That's good stuff. All right. Well, man, that was a, that was a lengthy answer, but uh, <laughs> I think that's, that's a good place to end. Yeah. Any other uh, parting thoughts, sir? No, I'm, I'm interested to hear what a voice sounds like. That's always interested. Now that we don't have, like, cassette tapes. I, I rarely tape my own voice on, like, my phone, even though I guess that's pretty easy to do. That's right. It's all texting, no no voicemails anymore. All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining. And, uh, yeah, this was, uh, this was great. Fun time had by me. All right. Well, thanks again. All right. All right.